Hi, this is Nathan. My passion is to provide Christ-centered Bible teaching and resources that glorifies God and will encourage and equip you to grow spiritually and live a Christ-centered life. If you would like more resources to help you understand the Word of God and cultivate a passionate love for Jesus that turns the world upside down, please visit deeperchristian.com. Now, grab your Bible as we dive into this message from God's Word. Well, if you have your Bibles, Philippians chapter 4. On Thursdays, we've been walking through a, uh, a series in Philippians chapter 4, looking at the mindset of a Christian. And it kind of came out of a, a necessity, at least in my life, where I was looking at the culture and, and looking at all the stuff that was going on and looking at just the reality of the world that we currently live in. And the thought I had is, okay, how, how does a Christian in this day and age, with all the stuff that's going on, how is a Christian supposed to think? What is our mindset? How, how are we supposed to function as a believer in the world? And so as such, I, I was just starting to ponder, okay, like, what, what can I study out? And obviously, Philippians chapter 4 was the first thing that came to my mind. So I just thought it'd be kind of fun to uh, bring everybody into my own study in that sense. And so we've been looking at Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 down through verse 9. And I just want to read it to you just so it's fresh and uh, just kind of in front of us this morning. Uh, this is what Paul writes. He says, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say, Rejoice. Let everyone come to know your gentleness. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with gratitude, make your requests known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will protect your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever things are true, whatever things are honest, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good rapport, if there is any virtue, if there is any praise, think on these things. Do those things which you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me, and the God of peace will be with you. Uh, over the last several sessions, we, we talked and gave an overview of the book of Philippians and kind of what Paul's agenda is in the whole book and how significant this passage is to the overarching flow. And then a little while back, we were looking at this idea of rejoicing and that you are called to rejoice always. And by the way, the Greek word for the word always means always. Oh, see, you guys are picking this stuff up. Good. Well done. So, hey, you're always to rejoice. So it does not matter your circumstance. Your circumstance does not dictate your attitude. Your circumstance does not dictate your response. Your circumstances do not... Are you getting this? Which is hard. I get that. But you are called to rejoice always. So in every situation, in every moment of every single day, regardless of what's going on, no matter what kind of pressures you are facing, you are called to rejoice and remember, Paul is talking to a group of people who are facing persecution. Paul himself is sitting in a prison cell, likely in Rome, and he's not just saying, well, wouldn't it be great if we just, we could rejoice? He's saying, no, I'm telling you, from the pit of a prison cell, rejoice. So I don't know what you're facing today, but surely it is not as bad as that. 
And I know that because you're here <laughs> and not in a prison cell. And he's talking to a group of people who are being persecuted by Rome and, and, and by the whole Roman thing. And, and, and there's all this pressure and all this persecution and there's all this intensity going on. And Paul says, even in the middle of that, you can rejoice. Not because it's easy, because you know who, you, who you're in. You know your position. You know who your God is. So rejoice. And then he says, which we looked at last time, let everyone come to know your gentleness. And uh, we don't have time to unpack this again, but you'll have to go back and listen. But the idea of gentleness is not like sweet, mild, calm, just, oh, they're so gentle. That's not this idea. But there is this lifestyle, there's this attitude of Jesus that is to come out of you. And a lot of it comes back to this idea that even if someone doesn't deserve it, you are going over and above this idea of love and mercy and kindness, even in the face of people persecuting you. Again, you can go back and listen to that whole study. Then we get to our verse at hand that we're going to look at this morning, which is the end of verse 5. Paul writes, the Lord is at hand. The Lord is at hand. Now, that little passage, the Lord is at hand, is a little difficult. It's not difficult to understand. It's just difficult to determine what to do in the context. Uh, you look at that word or that phrase, the Lord is at hand. In the Greek, it's three words. Uh, you have the article, which is the. Then you have the word for Lord. And then you have this adverb thing, is at hand, or has this idea of near. And what's interesting about that idea, the Lord is at hand or the Lord is near, that idea of at hand or near, it is an adverb of location. I know some of you just went to sleep, but the nerds got excited. So if you're a nerd, stay with me here. If you're not a nerd, just be patient. An adverb of location means that this idea of coming close or drawing near can either be done in the sense of time or space. Let me explain those since you guys look like you're confused. Uh, I come up to you and I say, hi! I just came near you in terms of space. I invaded your space. That make sense? Uh, when, when Nick says, hi to me, his face tends to be here. <laughs> and the first time Nick came up and was like, hi, I'm like, oh, hello, buddy. You know, I'm like, your, your face is a little too close to my face. But, you know, after a couple of years of, of living with this, I, it's not normal. Sort of. <laughs> Just picking on you. Okay. <clears throat> That's the idea of location of space. There's also a, this idea of location of time. In other words, lunch is coming soon. It is drawing near. And all the people say? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so there's that idea in terms of the time. So, so here's, here's the question then. When you look at this idea of the Lord is at hand, is it better understood, uh, better understood as this idea of space that the Lord has drawn near to us, therefore it's relational, or is it better understood of this idea of time, meaning the Lord's day is at hand? In other words, he's coming soon. 
Now, what kind of com- makes this complex at one level is there's no conjunctions in our little passage. I, I know, sorry, I'm using all these grammar words. But there's no conjunctions in our passage, meaning scholars have no idea if this is supposed to conclude verse 5 or if this is supposed to start verse 6. And determine, the, the, how you determine that changes the meaning of it. For example, look at, the, look at verse 4 and 5 again. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let everyone come to know your gentleness. The Lord is at hand. In other words, if you take it in that sense, what it's saying is, hey, the Lord is coming soon. So how should you behave? Well, you better behave godly. Meaning there better be rejoicing. There better be gentleness. That there's this means of living that should be coming out of your life. Why? Well, because the Lord's day is drawing near. He is coming soon, folks, and that is true. He is coming soon, so you better live a certain way. And some say, well, no, it actually makes more sense if you put it at the beginning of verse 6. So the idea then would be, the Lord is at hand, therefore be anxious for nothing, but in everything with prayer and supplication make a request known to God. In that sense, the idea is, well, the Lord has drawn near, and he's right next to us, therefore you don't have to worry. There's no reason to fear. Hey, just give all your requests to him. So which one is it? Yes is the answer. Yeah, thank you. Yes. (laughs) And it's funny, I was was looking this up with some of the big scholars just saying, what did they do with this? And and it was funny, all the scholars are like, we don't know. (laughs) You could take it this way, you could take it this way. And in the end, I think the conclusion is Paul probably means both. That there's this, and Paul does this a lot of times in his writings, but there's, there's, these, there's these phrases that can be taken either way. And, and when you start to look at kind of Paul's context and what he's saying, it's like he's saying, I do intend you to understand it both ways. So I want to just kind of quickly this morning look at this idea with you from those two perspectives. So let's, let's presume it means the Lord's day is at hand. The Lord is coming soon. The Lord is near. You recognize that for 2,000 years, the church has been crying out, come, 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 Lord Jesus, come. Come, Lord Jesus, come. That there's been an expectancy. The Spirit and the bride say, come. That there's been a prayer yearning in our hearts for 2,000 years since he ascended, which is, come back. Hey, it's time. Come on, buddy. And there's been a yearning for that. By the way, if you don't have that yearning, you need to ask for God to give you that yearning. Because there, there should be this depth within you that just goes, Lord, I love, I love the fact that I get to live right now and in this day and age. and This is amazing, but oh, the best is yet to come. And as amazing as, as, as the relationship we have with him through the Spirit of God and the fact that we are indwelt by the Spirit, as amazing as that all is, the best is yet to come, folks. We are going to see him face to face. Uh, I think it was yesterday I was talking to Ezra and we were looking at this idea. And I, and I mentioned that in 1 Corinthians 13, Paul uses the language that now, right now, we, we look dimly into a mirror. But then we shall see him face to face. And, and the idea in the Greek is that, you know, their mirrors were not like our mirrors. <laughs> our mirrors, you can actually see what you're looking at. 
And maybe for some of us it would be good to go back to what they had. But what they had was this bronze plate typically, and it was kind of shined up. And so you can kind of see the reflection, but it wasn't a mirror in the sense of a mirror. It was hazy. It was kind of foggy. It was, you could see it, but you couldn't see it. It's just there, but it's not really there. It's like, it's like you know, if you get out of the shower and, and the, the whole bathroom is steamed up and you look in the mirror, well, you can kind of see something, but it's all, just more shape, shapely, right? And again, Paul's using that as an illustration to say, do you realize that the best we have on this earth, which is phenomenal, the best we have on this earth, which is incredible, compared to then, is like looking dimly in this fogged up mirror or this brass plate or a, in fact, if you look at it, the reason we were even talking about it is Paul says, right now we get to gnosko Jesus, but then we shall epigonosco him. And the word epi in front of it has this idea of epic. It's this enhancer. So if you think what we have with Jesus now is phenomenal, just wait. Because what is going to happen in the, in the days to come? you got to realize the Lord is coming soon, folks. And that is great news. And you realize if you, begin to, if you begin to remind yourself that, hey, the Lord is coming, the Lord is coming, he has conquered all things and he is going to come back and show himself as the victor. If you begin to think in that mindset, you can endure a lot of things. Why? Because he is coming soon. Hey, the Lord is at hand. Now, there's some echoes. It seems what Paul's doing here in Philippians 4. There's some echoes of this idea of the Lord is at hand back in the Old Testament. Uh, for example, in Zechariah, or sorry, Zephaniah and Joel, uh, Zephaniah says in Zephaniah 1.7, Be silent before the Lord God, for the day of the Lord is near. The Lord has prepared a sacrifice and consecrated his guests. Zephaniah 1.14 says, The great day of the Lord is near, near and hastening fast. Joel 1.15 says, Alas for the day, for the day of the Lord is near, and the destruction from the Almighty it comes. Joel 3.14, multitude, Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision, for the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. And it seems like Paul is kind of picking up some of these Old Testament threads of, hey, the Lord is coming. The Lord is coming. Hey, he's, hey, he's on the horizon. He's coming. He's, he's on the way. In fact, several times in the book of Philippians, Paul uses that language. For example, Philippians 1.6, Paul says, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. Oh, until when? At the day of Jesus Christ. Speaking of the day. Uh, Philippians 1.10, so that you may approve what is excellent, therefore be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Hey, he's coming. So hey, make yourself ready. Be pure, be blameless in how you live. Philippians 2.16, hold fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I do not run in vain or labor in vain. So Paul is even using that language without Philippians. So it would make sense that he's He's using that kind of an idea here in Philippians 4, verse 5. That he's saying, hey, the Lord's day is coming. He is coming soon. So how should I live? Godly. Prepare yourself. Hey, live rightly. And, and you know this. There's, there's countless verses throughout the New Testament. But there's this constant theme of the Lord is returning. The Lord is returning. I find it interesting that Paul goes on this missionary journey and 
he goes to this city called Thessalonica, spends a couple of weeks in Thessalonica, establishes a church, and then leaves. And then he writes them a letter. And he says, I I just want to remind you what I told you back then. Now, think, (laughs) think about this. If you're going to establish a church, so you go into this this region and, and you, you, you start to evangelize and you start a church and you only have two weeks to teach them things. And so you give them like the two-week foundation course and then you leave. What would you teach in your foundation course? It's interesting that the one thing I probably wouldn't even think about bringing up is the one thing that Paul reminds them to remember that he taught them, which is what? Hey, the second coming of Christ is coming soon. And he's reminding those in Thessalonica, hey, the Lord is returning soon. The Lord is returning soon. Prepare yourself. Isn't that interesting? In his two-week foundation course, Paul seemed like it was essential that as believers you would know that Jesus is coming soon. That's interesting to me. Here's here's a few other verses, though. James 5.8. James says, You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Romans 13, 12. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. What is he talking about? Hey, the sun's rising. The day's almost here. So let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. The writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 10, 24, and 25, Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see see the day drawing near. So hey, the, the, the closer we get to the day, the more intense we should be of building each other up and encouraging one another and gathering together. Revelation 3.11, Jesus himself, speaking to the churches in Asia Minor, Revelation 3.11, Jesus says, I am coming soon. Woo! Now his definition of soon is a little different than mine. But you do realize we are closer to that day than ever before in human history. And tomorrow we are going to be closer than we were even today. And Jesus, I am coming soon, therefore hold fast to what you have so that no one may seize your crown. Hey, don't get distracted. Why? I'm coming soon. Revelation twenty two twenty. He who testifies to these things says, think about this. He who testifies to these things says, so John speaking, he says, uh, sorry, oh, let me back up. Jesus is speaking, but he says, surely I am coming soon. And then John says, amen, come Lord Jesus. And that word there, come Lord Jesus, was that anthem in the early church, which was Mara, Maranatha. Marana, O Lord, tha, come. And so when the early church would be saying, ah, Maranatha, 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 it was come Lord Jesus, come Lord Jesus. See, what is the cry of our hearts? Lord, the day's approaching. Come. And as such, we should make ourselves ready. We we should be focused. We we should be diligent. We should be prepared for the coming of the Lord. It should not take us by surprise. 
In fact, when the Lord comes, we should say, see, I told you, I told you, I told you. I think actually we'll be so wrapped up in the thing we don't even. But what if you weren't surprised? What if you were constantly ready and prepared? Why? The Lord is at hand. So that has the idea of time. But when you look at this idea of the spatial thing, the, the relational side of things, you realize that is also true. The Lord is at hand. He has come near. In fact, I love what Paul writes in Philippians 2. He, he talks about the fact that here is Jesus who is God. Philippians 2, verses 6 or 8. He is God. It's not robbery for him to be equal with God. He is God. But what did he do? He, he took on the form of a servant and became a man And he dwelt among us. He lived with us, folks. He drew near. God didn't just remain out there somewhere. He came near. That he's interested in relationship. So he was willing to suffer, became obedient even to the death on the cross. Why? Because he's desperate for this relationship thing. Which for whatever reason, even though he doesn't need it, he wants it. And he has drawn near to us. Now, it's interesting, that has an echo in the Old Testament that it seems like Paul's picking up on. So again, it seems like there's this double layer thing going on. But all throughout the Old Testament, there's this, there's this undertone that, that God desires to be with his people. For example, Deuteronomy 4.7. Um, Moses is speaking and he says, For what great nation is there that has a God so near as it is as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call upon him? Moses says there is no other nation and and all their gods out there. See, none of them are like our God. Why? Our God is actually near to us. Their gods, they're just pieces of wood. They're pieces of stone. They're just, they're just, but our God, the living God has actually drawn near. Psalm 34 verse 18. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. See, he draws near. Psalm 145, verse 18. The Lord is near to all who call upon him, all who call on him in truth. Psalm 119, verse 151 says, But you are near, O Lord, and all your commandments are true. See, God has drawn near. And of course, the greatest picture of that is the incarnation, where the outside God has come in human form, suffered, died upon a cross. Why? To remove every barrier so that we can actually have relationship with the God who was drawn near. And then he ascends into heaven and sends forth his spirit to what? Draw near. So near, in fact, that the spirit invades your life and is now living inside of you, if you're a believer. That's really close. I mean, you, I mean, you thought your mom was really close. But the Spirit of God lives inside of you. And that's intense. That's drawing near. I love what Paul says in Romans 8 about this idea. In Romans 8, verse 9 through 11, <clears throat> just, just listen to this idea of the drawing near. He says, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, 
He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. And then I love what he says a few verses later in verse 15. He says, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Get this, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons to whom we now cry, Abba, Father. And again, that word Abba in the Aramaic Hebrew, those languages, the Abba isn't just father. It's not just dad. It, it is so intimate. The best way we can translate it is daddy. And say, oh, daddy. Abba. That somehow he is so drawn near, that he has so indwelt us, that we've been given a spirit of adoption, that we've been brought into the family to the point where we don't have to say, oh, verily. You don't have to say that anymore. Hey, God, over there, can, 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 can I just have your attention really quick? You don't have to do that anymore. Why? Because he now lives inside of you. And it is so intimate, you can now say, oh, Daddy. That's awesome. He has drawn near. 2 Corinthians 3.17, Paul writes, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom where is the spirit of the lord residing within us which means what there's freedom that he brings victory and triumph so you realize that when you come back into our passage the lord is at hand therefore be anxious for nothing well how can i be anxious for nothing why do i why do i not have to live with fear anxiety or worry oh the lord is at hand the Lord has drawn near, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. That I don't have to live under the tyranny of sin. I don't have to live under the, the, the thumb of fear and depression and, and whatever the, the, the muck of the world is pressing on upon me. That I can actually walk and try. I can rejoice always. Hey, I can be gentle. Hey, I don't have to be anxious for anything. Why? Because the Lord is at hand. And so near, in fact, it's not that he's just walking near me. He lives inside of me. That's an incredible shift. So as you come back into our passage then, and you look at this idea in Philippians 4, 5, the Lord is at hand. I would like to propose to you that what Paul is trying to do here in our passage is a twofold reality. He's saying, look, the Lord is coming soon. And he is, folks. I mean, the day is getting closer and closer. And wow, when you look at the state of the world, you're like, you better come soon. And if you're into the whole end time stuff, boy, it seems like he's setting himself up for a great return, isn't he? These are good days. Tell your faces. These are great days. Why? Because the Lord is coming soon, folks doesn't matter how bad culture gets. It doesn't matter how much persecution there is. It doesn't matter if they start to torture. It doesn't, doesn't matter. In fact, this is what's been going on for 2,000 years. We should not think it's strange, dear brethren, when we face trials of many kinds. Just because we've lived in a pampered age for a few hundred years and we have not experienced what Christians throughout all of Christian history have experienced, we should not think it's strange when we start to experience what they've experienced. But hey, you can endure it. Hey, you can smile through this. this. Hey, this can actually be great news. Why? The Lord is at hand. He's coming soon. 
And if I know he's just around the corner, all right, fine. Do what, do, do what you want to me. Why? Because I know he's coming. I know he's going to be victorious. He, I mean, he's pressing in upon us. And as such, how shall I live now? Well, I should live now as if he's coming soon. Which means I cannot just be flippant in the way that I live. As, as a culture, we lived in country club Christianity for far too long. Where, where Christianity has been merely a, you know, a country club thing where I go down on Sunday mornings, I check in, I say hi to all the friends. Hey, how you doing? How have you been? Great, great, great. I know your lives are probably horrible, but at least you're faking it. Good, well done. Thank you. Good to see you too. Uh, yeah, okay. Great to see you. Yes, thank you. Good to see you. Right? It's, it's, and we've been going through those motions and we check in and we listen to our little 30-minute sermon and then we go about our lives and we leave church aside the rest of the week and we do our own thing and then you know, maybe Wednesday night, if we're really spiritual, we'll go on Wednesday night. But it's become a country club thing. And it, Christianity is not a one-day-a-week one thing, folks. Christianity is not a check-in check down at the church house thing. Christianity is a life thing. That this thing should radically change how you think and live. Well, why should it change how I live? The Lord is at hand. I mean, if I knew that the Lord was coming tomorrow, sin is not going to have that much pressure in my life today. I'm not going to be distracted. I'm not going to be like, whoa, look at that sin. I think I'm going to indulge. That's not even going to be a thought in my mind if I know he's returning tomorrow. Does, does that make sense? Wouldn't it be neat if I always lived that way? If I'm like, oh, today could be the day. ho, <laughs> And if today was the day, how would I live? I wouldn't just waste my life. I wouldn't just be frivolous with my time. I love, I love what the Old Testament consistently says. It says several times, count the number of your days. Count the number of my days? Yeah, count the number of your days. Why? Because you're going to recognize that your days are short. It's fleeting. It's, your life is like a vapor. Just, I mean, we only have 60, 70, 80, 90 years on this earth, and then poof, it's gone. And yet we have eternity with Jesus. And in the, in the fullness of eternity, what is 90 years? Say you live to 120. What's 120 years compared to eternity? You realize we are called to be eternally minded. Jonathan Edwards consistently said, and, and I love Leonard Ripley, he used to say this all the time, but the prayer was, God, stamp eternity upon my eyeball. That as I begin to see my world and I begin to see my day and I begin to see what's going on, let me see it through the lens of eternity. And if it's not going to last for eternity, I probably shouldn't make it a huge priority. Now, it's not that you can't, you know, I mean, I like to go play disc golf. Go play disc golf once in a while. There's nothing wrong with disc golf. There's nothing wrong with disc golf. But it's not my obsession, folks. I do because it's relational. I'll go with somebody and we'll hang and throw a few discs and it's fun. You get to walk around for a few minutes, <clears throat> laugh at how I can't throw a frisbee. I mean, it's, it's great, you know? So it's not that you can't do you see the difference, though? But hey, if I'm determining what I, how I should spend my day, I should not spend my, my day just playing disc golf. 
And yeah, I should do things that refresh me. And yes, I need rest. And yes, that's all true. And God gives us, gives us these things as, as a blessing. But what is actually going to matter for eternity is that which lasts. So if I'm going to choose between something that is temporal and something that is eternal, choose eternal. See, see what if you could see relationships through the eyes of eternity? See, what if you could see your work through the eyes of eternity? What if you could see your free time through the eyes of eternity? You should. Why? The Lord is coming soon. So that should change how you're living here. Hey, you shouldn't be indulging in sin. You, you should be focused. You, uh, Ephesians, uh, Ephesians 5.15 uses the word be circumspect in how you live. That word circumspect has this idea that if, if we had a tightrope, and it was on the ground, and I said, walk it, you'd be like, oh, sure. And you just, but if we put that tightrope 300 feet in the air, and I said, now walk it, how would you walk it? Circumspectly. (laughs) That's the word. Meaning what? You're going to be very careful where you're putting your feet. Why? Because it doesn't take much to, and Paul says, you know how you're supposed to live right now? circumspectly. The Lord's coming soon. So don't just be frivolous in how you live. Don't, don't just imbibe in everything of the culture. Hey, you're a Christian. Live as a Christian. Titus chapter 2, Paul reminds Titus in verses 11 through 14, he says, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people, training us, get this, to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. So apparently it is possible to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, to live self-controlled, and to live upright, godly lives even in the present age. Waiting for our blessed hope. Oh, what's our blessed hope? It's coming soon, folks. Waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. So he's coming soon. How should you live as a Christian? Don't live like the world. Uh, 2 Peter verse 1, 3-8 Peter says, I love this. His divine power has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. So everything you need for life and everything you need for godliness is found in one place. Jesus. Now, think with me. Is there a single thing that you need outside of life or godliness? Yeah, I can't think of anything either. Which means all things that I need is in Jesus. So Peter says, His divine power has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and excellence by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. We get to partake of the divine nature having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, 
Make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and with virtue, knowledge, and with knowledge, self-control, and with self-control, steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. How are you to live? You have been given all things that you need for life and for godliness. Live it. So the Lord is coming soon. Hey, the triumph of Christ is near. So how can I live? I can live with hope. I can live with joy. I can live with peace. I can live in victory. I can live as a Christian ought to live. Why? Because he's given me all things that I need, and he is coming soon. But you do remember that if I'm living as I ought to live, and I'm living godly in this godless age, Peter, sorry, uh, Paul reminds us in 2 Timothy 3.12, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Congratulations. So, hey, the Lord is coming soon, so you better live as a Christian. But if you live as a Christian, you will be persecuted. So what do I need to remember? The Lord is near. Isn't that fun? Hey, the Lord is coming. He's near. So I better live as a Christian. But if I live as a Christian, I will be persecuted. So I better remember the Lord's near. And he is, is pressing upon me. In fact, he lives inside of me. Jesus is speaking to the disciples in the upper room in John 14. <clears throat> and listen, listen to what Jesus says in terms of the, of the Spirit of God. He says, uh, this is John 14, verses 12, verses 16 through 18, and verse 26. Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these he will do, because I am going to the Father. And I will ask the Father, and he will give another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him or knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and will bring to you remembrance all things that I have said to you. Do you realize that Jesus, when he ascended, sent forth his Spirit it's called Pentecost, to not just be with us, but to actually reside within us. He's near, folks. Well, I'm being persecuted. You need Jesus. And you got to remember that the ones in, 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 Philippian, or in Philippi are being persecuted. There's all this pressure. I love what one scholar said. He said, since the present sufferings is at the hands of those who proclaim Caesar as Lord, they were reminded that the true Lord is actually near. I thought that was cool. That here are all those in Philippi and they're being persecuted. Who are they being persecuted by? The Romans. The ones who cry that Caesar is Lord. Caesar is Lord. And Paul says, can I remind you? Because you're being persecuted by the ones who claim Caesar is Lord, the Lord is the one who is actually with you to endure that suffering. 
It's a great reminder for us. And who knows where culture is going to end up in a few years. But hey, if things get worse, hey, if persecution increases, if tortures and deaths start to happen, there's no reason to fear. The Lord is near. Uh, we mentioned this before, but isn't it a great reminder that 366 times in the Bible, we are commanded not to fear, to worry, or have anxiety. And as Richard Rombrandt so eloquently pointed out, that's one for every single day of the year, including leap year. Which was great news for him, because when he was arrested in, in Romania and sent to prison for over a decade, do you know what day he was arrested? Leap year. And as he was thrown in the car, he had every one of those 366 passages memorized. He had, he had one for every single day of the year. And as he was thrown into the car, he said, Lord, you tell me not to fear even on this day. There's no reason to fear. Why? The Lord is near. And I, I know this is review. We've looked at this recently, but in Hebrews chapter 13, uh, again, the passage <clears throat> so eloquently says, in Hebrews 13, verses 5 and 6. For he himself has said, think about this, God has said this, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Therefore we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? And again, I know this is review for almost all of you, but the word there, leave, has this idea of to leave, to forsake, to abandon, to desert. The word there, forsake, means to forsake, to leave, to, to abandon. So what's the difference? The word leave has this idea of you leave something behind. It's typically an intangible object. It's just something you left. But forsake has this idea of relationship connected with it. And so God himself has said, look, I promise you, I will never treat you as some intangible object like a toothbrush that we forget on a trip, well, I'll replace it when I get there. God says, I will never treat you like that. Nor will I treat you in relationship where I just go, Psst. oh, forgot you. Oh, I've deserted you. Oh, I left you behind. Ah, no big deal. God says, I'll never do that to you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. And as I've often pointed out, <clears throat> there's actually seven nevers in this passage. That when you look at it in the original Greek, it's I will never, 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 never leave or forsake you. I mean, talk about emphasis. Do you know that? Do you know that's true? Why? The Lord is at hand. He is never, ever, 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 ever going to leave or forsake you. Therefore, we can boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I shall not fear. Because what can man do to me? I mean, he's coming soon. I mean, the day is just around the corner. And he has drawn near. I think if we actually got a hold of this idea that the Lord is at hand, if we actually kept that in our mind, if we actually lived as if this is true, wouldn't this change your attitude in the midst of circumstances? Wouldn't this change your focus in how you lived? Wouldn't this change how you dealt with temptation and sin? Wouldn't this just change your, your attitude throughout the day? Wouldn't this just 
I think this would change everything. If eternity was truly stamped upon our eyeball and we recognize that he is coming soon and in fact he has drawn near. Lord, we just thank you that you have drawn near. And it's not just that you're coming soon, though. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Maranatha. Come quickly, Lord. And while it is just on the horizon, though it is coming soon, Lord, thank you that you have drawn near relationally to the point where you actually indwell us as your people. Lord, what would it look like if I lived in this reality? What would it mean if if I, I actually had the mind the heart of this, where eternity was stamped upon my eyeball and I began to live as if you're returning soon. Lord, what if I made decisions recognizing that you're returning soon? What what if I invested in relationships because that's one of the few things that are going to be eternal? What what if I would pour out my life in evangelism because people need you? What what if I would not just throw away my life in binge-watching Netflix every night See, Lord, what, what would happen in my life if I really recognized, if I truly recognized that you are coming soon? Or maybe even more significantly, Lord, how would my life change if I realized you do indwell us as your people? That I can handle every temptation. Why? Because you are my victory. And I can walk in freedom and triumph and hope and peace and joy and love because the one who is love and joy and peace lives inside of me see lord what would it look like if 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 i saw the people in my world what what would happen if i saw the persecution see what, what would happen if i saw the through the lens of the lord is near lord you have said that you will never Never, 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 never leave or forsake us. So will you put a growl within your body, your church, your bride, and we would say the Lord is our helper. We shall not fear. That we don't have to live in anxiety and worry and trepidation and anxiety and because you are near. Change this, Jesus. Change our mindset. Change our focus. Change our heart. And may we live this day, not just that you're coming soon, but let us live this day as if you're here right now. Because you are. Love you. Give you the praise and the glory in your precious name we pray. Amen.